Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When we encounter Jesus authentically, He becomes all these things to us. These aren't just titles on a page. This is who Jesus is. We want you to hear from people who have experienced this Jesus firsthand. So we've been talking about behold. And I don't know if you've been here for that conversation for the last several weeks. And maybe it's just now coming to you. But what we've tried to to do this season is actually find Jesus in it. Because can we all be honest, Jesus gets lost at Christmas more than any other time of the year, it seems like. Amen? Y'all got to talk to me today. Come on. Like, it seems like in, in the seasons where Jesus should be at the forefront, he takes a back seat. The Easter Bunny and Santa get a lot more pub. And so we've kind of made this decision as a church that, that we, we were going to let this Christmas be different. That we were actually going to behold the only one worthy of beholding. That we would find a way to see God in this place. To see God everywhere we go. Because the beauty is in the behold. That when you truly see God for who he is and what he can do and what he wants to do in your life, when you truly begin to understand the deep meaning of this season, it has to move you like you got to do something with it. The reality that Mary just one night is just going about her business like normal and an angel shows up and says, Behold, woman, you have been found highly favored with God. And you are with child. And you're going to give birth to a son. And this son will be the savior of the world. He will be called the son of the most high. The son of God. Now that's a lot for Mel Mary to behold. Because Mary is a teenager with an awesome fiance. And she's got... This plan, like I'm sure all women do, for what this future is going to look like. This beautiful wedding and this beautiful life that she's going to have with Joseph. And all of a sudden the angel says, you're going to have a child, but like I haven't done the things necessary for me to be with child. Oh, I know, it's conceived in you by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Like you can imagine like... Like, we're talking about behold. Sometimes God comes with you with something that seems impossible to behold. Anybody ever been there? Like, you have these behold moments, and they're just, they're just unbelievable. Sometimes it's just because they're so big. Like, like, God's doing something in your life that seems so crazy and so awesome and so profound. Like, it's hard to even wrap your mind around that. Anybody ever had one of those moments? Three people testified. Awesome. Merry Christmas. Um, but you know what? Like, I'm, there may be some people, like, you're in, you're in that space this, this, this season. Like, like what, you're, what you're able to behold is, is beautiful, and it's awesome because, like, as you come to Christmas 2018, you're in the best season of your life. 
Like you see God's favor in his hand, and you're more than happy to behold because you see him working and you see him everywhere. And maybe you can relate to Mary to a degree that God is asking you to behold something that's so big and so awesome and so powerful. But I want to remind you, like, Mary wasn't the only baby that was announced in this season. Before the angel visited Mary, he visited another couple that Mary was close to. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zacharias. And we often overlook that part of the story, but I want to read it to you because what I think we'll discover is we can identify much more with Zachariah and Elizabeth than we can with Mary. Go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. And we will pick up with verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were advanced in years. Like, here's two people walking blamelessly with God, walking close to God. And they had one desire, to have a child. And year after year after year after year went by, and that just didn't happen. And every year that went by, without that desire being fulfilled, I think broke them a little bit at a time. Can anybody relate? Like, I think there's a lot of people, you're sitting here, and all you can think is, it's the end of another year, and still, that thing hasn't come to pass. See, for a lot of people, you love this season, but for a lot of people, this is the hardest month of the year. Because you're two days away from the first Christmas without them. And you'll never have another Christmas with them. This is the first Christmas since they've been gone. Since he left. Since you lost that job. Since you buried that dream. And you expect me to behold? You find yourself in a season of barren. And it feels like there's nothing worth beholding. That's where Zechariah and Elizabeth were until an angel showed up with a new message to behold. Drop down to verse 11. Zacharias is in the temple doing his daily deal. And all of a sudden this happens. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel because it was an angel. And fear gripped him. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Woo! And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
And in that moment, something began to shift in the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth. But you know what? For him to behold that was just as difficult for him as it was for Mary to behold what the angel said to her. Look at his response in verse 18. Zachariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And now then he ends up having to go through some silence and that kind of stuff. But, but Zacharias' reaction makes sense to me. Here an angel of the Lord comes and shows up and says, Behold, Zacharias, that thing that you and Elizabeth have been praying for and praying for and praying for and praying for for so long, it's about to happen. And now we like to think, we'd be like, Woohoo! But when you have been wanting something and longing for something and praying for certain something for so long, never to ever see it come to pass, there comes a moment when you get too broken to behold. Where you've had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, it puts you into this position where you're just too broken to behold that God could come down and he could speak something into your life right now, but because it's been so long your tendency is to not hear it. And I just wonder that if some of the people in the room today, the barrier to your ability to behold is nothing that we've talked about to this point, but because it's just you're too broken. That for far too long, You've been in this season where you've been crying out to God and asking him to fix it and asking him to take it away. But yet you sit here on the end of another year and you're still battling that disease. You're still dealing with that depression. You're still wrestling with that why. And you say, Matt, I'm too broken to behold. And this is what I want you to know. Lean into me. Even when you're too broken to behold him, he is still beholding you. Did you notice what it said? It said, Zacharias, your petition has been heard. Like every prayer that you've prayed, God's, it has fallen on God's ear. Every tear that you have cried, not a single drop has gone unnoticed. And now, even though you're too broken to behold, I want you to know, I am still beholding you. But see, when you're in a season of prolonged silence, it's hard to believe that the promise will ever be possible. And God shows up and says, you're only in a season I've noticed you, I see you, and even when you haven't felt like beholding me, I've still been beholding you. And now I have something to say, and I want you to hear it. And if you let your brokenness create blindness, you'll miss it. And I know maybe you're in this place today, and you feel like God is quiet. Don't mistake his silence for absence. And you know what I've noticed when God has gone quiet, it's not because he's left. It's just because he's listening. Amen. And his ear is bent towards you this day. And maybe this is the moment and this is the time 
for him to start healing that brokenness so you can behold him again and step forward. It's only a season. And maybe it's been longer than you wanted it to be, but God is still good. He is still with you, and he is still beholding you. And maybe for you, a story of a couple that lived thousands of years ago is not enough to really inspire you. Maybe you need a more recent one to touch your spirit. So let me invite you to turn your attention to the screens. I was raised in a Christian family, and so I, um, I grew up in church all the time. Um, there was a, just something about being in church that made me feel like that was where I was supposed to be. I felt welcomed. I felt like I belonged there. I came to know Jesus really, really young, um, and I know that I know that it was a real experience, it was a real encounter, because I could see evidence of change immediately. I was so excited to tell everybody else about Jesus, so much so that I got in trouble um, in, in school for talking about Jesus too much. I think the enemy knew that, um, that God was going to use me in some way. He knew that that, um, that, that encounter was real. Um, there were a few things that I experienced in my childhood that were kind of terrible and traumatic and um, as I grew in grew up you know middle school high school ages when you start kind of questioning your identity and stuff the enemy started reminding me of those things that I'd sort of didn't want to have to deal with didn't want to believe had happened my grandmother committed suicide when I was seven my uncle died when I was eight and then my grandfather died right right around my ninth birthday over and over there was you know kind of hits to my identity and, and the things that were important to me. And there were other things that were really terrible and traumatic. Um, but yeah, the enemy just used that as his arsenal to throw at me and say, where was God? Why did this happen? Why did, you know, why would he allow things like this to happen? If this person that you made a profession to believe in when you were like five, six years old, if that was really Jesus, if that was really the God who loves you, then why did he let all this happen? And so I started to question my faith, um, probably around high school. Um, I started getting involved in alcohol, you know, using alcohol and things like that um, when I was in high school, but I was still attending church regularly. I was still in the youth group, you know, um, bringing lots of people with me and kind of living what felt like a double life. I still knew Jesus was there. I still knew God. I still saw his presence. I still, um, was, he was still very evident in everything that was going on. But um, I, I think I was just listening to the enemy more than I was listening to the truth that I knew. Getting into high school, I remember um, kind of praying about where God wanted me to go with my life, what he wanted me to do, and he made it really clear. He opened a door for me to um, start uh, UNCG as a music major. While I was there, I think my faith took a lot more hits because you're in college and you're kind of away from your comfort zone. I was still going to church. I still lived at home even though I was in university. Um, I didn't stay on campus, but um, I started partying a lot. I mean, starting the summer before college, it was like a nonstop thing. I started smoking pot. I was drinking daily. Within a year, I was using acid and ecstasy and all kinds of things. And so um, then I started exploring other religions. I um, 
I remember getting a book on Wicca and going through different things with that. I had joined a group on campus called Students for a Free Tibet and they were very Buddhist because they were all about Buddhist freedom in Tibet, which was a really bizarre thing. Um, but even in all of that, even in all the questioning and all the seeking anything else, I knew that God was there. I felt him. I felt his presence. I felt him calling me back and I still refused to turn around. I ended up leaving college towards the end of my second year there. Um, I just didn't feel like I was good enough to stay. Um, even though my grades were great and all my professors were like, no, this is where you're supposed to be. You know, you have talent. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe that that was actually what I could do. So um, I started working um, full-time jobs, left school altogether. I had three jobs at one point in time. Um, and I would get up in the morning and go to work. And as soon as I would get off work, I would be at a friend's house with a bottle of vodka and some pot and whatever else we had available and would just completely try and um, drown out everything that I was feeling. All of those things that the enemy kept throwing at me, reminding me, you know, this was real. This was real. You know, these things happened. And if God was good, why would he allow that to happen? I was getting to the point where I knew that something had to give, like God was going to have to intervene in a big way because I was not using anything like heroin or cocaine or crack, but it was almost there. It was almost to that point because I was thinking something has to give. I have to find something to make this, all of this pain go away. I remember one time driving home from a friend's house, it was probably three in the morning and just yelling out to God. If you love me, then you're going to have to do something major to change that. When I went to work the next week, I uh, started feeling really sick. And um, a friend had, that I worked with recommended that I take a pregnancy test, and it was positive. And of course, I'm going, it's a false positive. It can't be real. Um, but I took another one and another one and another one, and they were all positive. At eight weeks pregnant, I was put in the hospital. Um, I was not able to walk. My skin was cracking. I was yellow. Um, I had not kept anything down for about five days. In August of 2001, Mercy was born. And I named her Mercy because that was exactly what I experienced. It was getting a gift instead of getting the due punishment that I deserved for turning my back on God. When Mercy was almost two years old, um, I was working for a law firm in High Point, and um, I'd been there for maybe a year and I started having these really terrible headaches. I ended up going to the doctor, which I was not a fan of doctors at the time. Um, I did not go often, um, but they gave me a migraine medication to try and said, if you don't have any results within two weeks, come back and we'll see what's going on or if anything changes between now and then. Within a week, I started having issues with my hearing where I could hear what people said. I could repeat it word for word right back to them, but I had no idea what it meant. So I went back to the doctor and the doctor that I saw insisted that it was stress because I worked at a law firm. This was on a Tuesday. I had the CT scan on Friday and on Monday morning, he called me at the office. It was probably 9.30 or so. And he said, I need you to come into the office. He said, I know you've told me you don't like doctors and you won't come if there's not anything going on. So I'm letting you know over the phone, this is against protocol, but you have a brain tumor. As I'm sitting in the doctor's office 
and I know my face is probably swollen and had tear streaks all over it. Um, and I noticed that people were looking at me like, what's up with this girl? So I grab a magazine really fast to try to cover my face. And when I open the magazine, all I see across the top of two pages is second chances. And I have no idea what the article is about because I didn't read it. <laughs> but God spoke to me in that, that, I'm not done with you. This is not the end of you. This is not gonna be something that takes you away. This is something I'm gonna use. This is another chance for you to be used by me. Just wait. And when I went in to see the doctor, He's telling me everything that's going on. You have a left sphenoid wing meningioma. It's the size of a grapefruit. Um, I've called the three hospitals in the state that will even touch this with a 10-foot pole. One of them said they refuse to treat you. And the other two um, said that, you know, they would consider it, but they would need to see, you know, more scans. And he's telling me all these things. He's telling me all of all the things that are going on with that and how um, how much of an impact this could make on my life. You know, it could change my personality. I could be blind. I could be deaf. I could be mute. I could, um, of course, die. I could lose all kinds of abilities. And he's kind of just rattling all this off. And he looks at me and he goes, this is really weird. He's like, you're handling this so well. And I was like, you know, I, I, I'm okay with this now. And he goes, I have to ask you a weird question. And it's very personal, so I apologize. But he said, do you know Jesus? And I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, because I can see him all over you right now. Went through the surgery, and miraculously, it, I did not have very many side effects. I lost vision in my left eye. Um, but the doctor had to leave a smidgen of the tumor. He said it was about the size of a pea. Um, but he said, if I go in to get that, you will be like Helen Keller. You'll be deaf, dumb and blind. So he said, I didn't think that would be a quality of life that you would choose. So, but he said, because I think that I took the main source, you're probably going to be fine. There's only about a 5% chance that this is ever going to grow again. The next year I met Bobby and we were married in 2005. Then I had surgery again because the tumor had come back. When I came out of it, I had lost a lot of memory and short-term memory. Um, my kids take full advantage of that now uh, when they say that they've told me something and they never really did. Um, and maybe they have, but I'll never know because my memory's a little off. Um, I did lose vision in my left eye. Um, all central vision is gone. I, I lost that in the first surgery. Um, I have a little bit of peripheral vision, but mostly it's, you know, it's non-existent there. Um, and then I had problems with speech, with words. Um, I would say the wrong words when I was trying to come up with, with something to say. Um, I, like if I meant something was cold, it would come out like a popsicle or a freezer or something like that. I would just use the wrong word regularly. So I started trying to be really intentional about studying words and understanding things and trying to get, get past that. Um, and of course the doctor told me again, there's, we had to leave that tiny piece again, but there's still only 5% chance it's going to come back. About six months after that surgery, Bobby and I had gone to see the doctor and we asked for clearance to try and have a baby. And so I got pregnant with Ivy and she was born in uh, March of 2007. And because this tumor grows um, when hormones are present, like any hormones basically make this tumor grow. Um, I went back right after she was born. She was probably four weeks old. <clears throat> and the doctor says, your tumor is growing again. It's back. 
I started radiation when Ivy was almost, she was around eight weeks old and it was my 28th birthday. Um, and I had six weeks of radiation, which was back and forth to Duke every single day. And um, I got extremely sick. I remember every night that I would get up with her to feed her, it was like, um, I, I felt dead. I felt like just a corpse walking in there. I would try and get her out of bed and I would be, I would be nursing her in, you know, in the little rocker and crying and going, God, I am so spent. I'm so worn out. I don't know how to do this anymore. I can't, I just can't. I was able to wake up every morning. I was able to love my baby. I was able to do what I needed to do because God sustained me through that. I wanted a lot, but he gave me enough. And he showed up, he showed up, and he showed up and proved that he was faithful again to me. The following year in January, Bobby lost his job and I found out that I was pregnant and it was a completely unexpected pregnancy. I was so worried because I'd been through radiation and I didn't know if my body had recovered enough to even be able to carry another child. But I was like, okay, God, you know what you're doing and whatever this is, we'll just trust you. The doctor comes in to do the ultrasound and she's really quiet the whole time. She went and got another doctor and they came in and um, told me that the baby did not have a heartbeat, that it had only developed to about 11 weeks and five days. I found out within a couple months that I was pregnant again. And so I'm thinking, this is redemption. God's gonna give me this baby. This is what this is. And same time, October 29th of that year, I found out again that I lost another baby. The baby's heart had stopped beating at the exact same day as the, the first miscarriage. We waited about a year um, before trying again. And on Bobby's birthday the next year, I found out that I was pregnant again. This was baby number three since I'd had Ivy. And at about nine and a half weeks, I miscarried. And I remember calling my mom and saying, Mom, I was pregnant and I'm not anymore. Can you take me to the doctor? And it was just stone cold, no emotion, because I was angry and I could just feel like my heart was completely a rock at that point. I couldn't have any more emotions because this was baby number three and apparently this was just gonna be the way it went. My sixth pregnancy, I found out I was pregnant right around New Year's of 2010. And when I first went in, they saw two babies, um, but they gave me a warning that one was far like more developed than the other. So by the time I went back for the eight week ultrasound, uh, one was gone, so I'd miscarried another baby. But Colt lived. My seventh child was a son, and, and I truly believe that God gave him to me to be part of the healing process over so many things in my life. God has been there. He has given me peace. He has given me wisdom. He has given me comfort. He has given me strength. He has given me everything that I need in every part of my life because he's good, because he's faithful, because he is God. And I pray I don't have to walk through any of that ever again, but if I do, I know that he's there. 
and that's all. You don't have to be blinded by brokenness. Rhonda made the choice to behold, even in the midst of all those seasons. And there's a line that she says in there that I have not been able to get away from. She says, I asked for a lot, but he gave me enough. And that's my prayer for you today, that somehow today you would see just enough to inspire you to behold. I know you may be in a season that's dark and scary and lonely and feels like it's never going to end, but behold, he is beholding you. And he wants to remind you today that he came to this planet for you. And even though right now it may not feel like there's anything to behold, he is still there. And he's speaking to you today and he wants you to respond. And today we're going to watch people go through the waters of baptism. And I think that's a perfect way to finish up this series to be reminded that he has given us life. And if he's defeated death, he can defeat anything that's at your doorstep in this moment. So those of you, those of you who are ready, you've made the decision to go public with your faith, your baptism, I invite you to go ahead and stand up. You head out the back doors, the back exit to my left. There will be some of our pastors and staff waiting to meet you there to help you get ready. You can go ahead and go now. And I also want to just put it out there. If anybody's ready to go public, maybe you didn't come here planning on doing that, but you just feel that's what God's leading you to respond. That's how he wants you to respond to what you've seen and heard today. We have shirts, we have shorts, we have towels, we have everything you need. And I just have to tell you this story. First service, we're about to, or we're about to finish up. We're fin we didn't have anybody planned to be baptized. And we started finish singing this last song. And just about before we're about to dismiss everybody, one of our pastors comes down and says, Matt, we have one that wants to get baptized. And she sat down in those waters. As the mic was put in front of her, she said, all day yesterday, I thought about taking my own life. And I managed to get through the day. And I didn't want to come here today. And at the very last minute, I decided to come. And God showed up. He's here. And he's real. And he's moving right now. And he's trying to get your attention. And I know, I know you're hurting. And I know it feels like it's never going to end. And I know it feels like darkness and cold is all around you. But lean into his voice because it's there. And change is on the way. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I want to pray for you. If you're here and you just admit, Matt, like I'm, I'm struggling. I've been in the winter for a really long time. I've been in the season of darkness and cold and frustration and brokenness, and it's blinded me for so long. And today, I just want to behold him. I want to see him again. I want to see his face and hear his voice and know that he's real. If that's you, would you have the courage just to stand it right where you are so I can pray for you? I want to behold him. Amen. Amen. Come on, stand up right where you are. Let me pray for you. Stand up and stay standing. Let's go. just want him to see me. I want to see him. I want to recognize his voice. Yeah, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I wish things were different. I don't know when they will be different. But God, I just want to trust you. 
He may not give you a lot, but I believe in this moment he's going to give you enough to remind you that he's good and he's real. And this Christmas, he has given you a gift. And he's just waiting for you to receive it. Those of you who are seated, would you join those who are standing? I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And as you feel led, if you need to come and kneel and pray, if you need to see to grab somebody next to you, I want you to lean into the lyrics of this next song. Soak them up. Let them minister to your spirit. Father, I pray that you would allow us to see you today. God, I feel your call to behold. I feel like right now you're looking at every person in this room and saying, behold. I'm here. I'm beholding you. And God, if we will behold you, you will uphold us. You will carry us through the difficulties of life. You will make yourself known and real. And God, I pray in this moment for every person who stood that you would shower them with your presence in such an undeniable way that they would even feel the, back of, the hairs on the back of their neck begin to stand up because your spirit is moving and surrounding them and ministering to their hearts. God, show up and speak in this space, in this moment, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.